They have had a pleasant surprise. They have actually received the permission that they were previously denied to interview Craig Council for the manager job. Uh, it wasn't it's not that big a deal in terms of days. Council's contracts up at the end of this month. Uh, but the Padres had been it's the Padres. That's the next block. Right. The Brewers yeah. had been stonewalling the Mets on this and finally just said, OK, fine. Talk to them. It, it benefits the Brewers, too, to have this process rolling because I'm sure they'd like to know at a certain point if they're going to be keeping him or looking for a new manager. Now so, this means the Mets can start like all interviews. Uh, the Mets will be interviewing Craig Council. That's and that's all we, we know. Okay. They can interview anyone else who they obviously want to obtain permission for. That's the only known person at the moment who they're, cur- they're going to be. Right, but remember we were talking about the timeline Correct. where, okay, so now it seems like maybe once they get this started, potentially some others along yeah, the way. Yeah, what well. you mean there is like, uh, that, that topic where they don't want to do an interview like last week and then have that window of opportunity to hire that person close and then do another one in another two weeks. You want to condense these things in a pretty short period of time. That's the way the permissions uh, timing works. So, yes, good point. Are there any barriers here, Andy, that could prevent counsel from coming to the Mets? Plenty of barriers. They haven't begun this process yet. Yes, he knows David Stearns very, very well. Doesn't know Steve Cohen. They haven't had the chance to meet yet. That's a very important relationship there. He hasn't had the chance to get into the building at City Field, talk to people and decide whether this is a fit for him. He hasn't gotten their financial offer yet. Are the Mets going to blow him away or not? Are they going to feel it once they all get in that room or are they not? These are real significant factors. I can tell you that the Mets themselves think it's 50-50-ish that they're going to get counsel. They're they're not Hmm. putting all their eggs in this basket. That's why it's going to be a broad search. Having said all that, Sal, I do hear, I mean, certainly, and Britt knows this and Brian knows this, like, when people are gossiping about the Mets in this industry, everyone's like, oh, Council's going to the Mets. It's a strong perception. But I'm, ta- I'm drilling a little deeper into that, talking to the principals here. It doesn't seem quite as sure of a thing. I, I do think it'll happen, though. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, October the 29th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show up a podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, G. And you can also get my newsletter on Substack at Talking Mets No G. And of course, I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. This is probably going to be one of the tougher shows to do all year. Middle of the World Series, day off for the World Series. Not the newsiest of news weeks for the New York Mets. We got a little bit. We got a little bit of kernels of news about Craig Council. Thank God for Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham making news in the World Series, not just because he had a four-hit game in Game 2, but he also continues to be, I guess, the Minister of Information when it comes to the Mets and their work ethic. And he called out the New York Post on Twitter, so we'll get into that. A shorter show. We're not going to belabor the point, but I wanted to come to you today and give you the latest and the greatest in the world of the New York Mets. Now, I had ended last week's show with an announcement and some news 
about an addition to the Talking Mets universe. So you have the Marvel universe, right? You have the Talking Mets universe. I think the Marvel universe is slightly more profitable and slightly more popular than the Talking Mets universe. But we have a nice, tight uh, group here. I got to tell you, the more I look at numbers and the growth we've had over the last four or five years, we have a really nice group of individuals on the uh, the podcast, whether it be on Apple, Spotify, you got the Twitter following. I'm starting to get back into Facebook. Facebook is less Mets, more personal. I haven't ever really gotten into Instagram. I apologize if you follow me on Instagram. I know it's there. I find Instagram very difficult for what I do because I'm such a news conversation talk person. You know, Instagram to me is a meme or a blurb or you know, it's a little bit tougher. So earlier in the year, I was looking to use Instagram as a way to get out maybe a thought of the day or a thought every couple of days, use a photo. And it just wasn't working. I just didn't feel like it was working. And I've been thinking long and hard of this. And I almost did this back in January amidst all the, the hubbub about Carlos Correa. And I finally decided, as I've been reflecting upon the end of the 2023 season and where this show will go, because I think the, the beautiful thing about the show is really ever since it's evolved or come back on the scene in 2016, it's grown every year. And it was at a crossroads in 2019. You guys all know I used to be on MetsmerizedOnline.com. The late, may God bless his soul, Joe D, uh, gave me an opportunity to kind of get myself back out there into the Mets fan community. But things started not to work out. And I was back on my own independently, and a lot of people thought I'd fail. A lot of people thought the show would die, the show cannot survive unless you're affiliated with a major blog. And sure enough, lo and behold, uh, I had a decent Twitter following. I've always, you know, being that I've been on Twitter since 2008, I've always had a pretty decent following. I was able to build it up and grow and, you know, get to where I am today. And the show continued to grow and grow and grow. And we had some fortunate breaks, you know, big name players like a Mike Piazza coming on the show and you know obviously news and the Mets and how they've been in the news since then it's not a boring team to cover and I've always prided myself on somebody who has been and I've told you this a thousand times a Mets fan a Mets fan that has the passion but takes this independent coverage of the team in the same seriousness that I would if I was a beat writer so yeah, I'm a fan, and I want to see the Mets win, and I'm watching them and watching them win, but I'm also trying to treat this objectively. And sometimes I think you guys and I have been criticized for being a little bit too hard and maybe agenda-driven for the team. Uh, maybe and some people think for the team, against the team. It's funny, you never win. It's the old way that half the universe thinks, and I think it was, maybe it was Joe Garagiolo or Vince Scully saying during the 86 World Series that NBC was getting all sorts of, it was actually Bob Costas was talking about this on a podcast with Heyman and Sherman recently, that during the 86 World Series that the the switchboard at NBC, because back then you didn't have Twitter, was lighting up where half the people thought that Vince Scully and Gary Giola were pro-Red Sox, half the people thought they were pro-Mets, and away you go. So the big announcement last week was that I'm adding a newsletter to the Talking Mets universe. Now, there will be free content on the newsletter related to the podcast. I'll probably, you know, put out, hey, this week's podcast was out. We talked about this. Take a listen. And by the way, this is some of the things you missed this week if 
you know, you haven't subscribed to the newsletter. Now, the newsletter is going to be $5 a month or $49.99 if you want to sign up for a full year. And I know that that's a lot of money. It's, and I say that not jokingly. I don't care if it's $5, $50, $100. Anybody who takes a dime from you, whether it be buying a cup of coffee at the deli, a sandwich, or you know, getting a pack of bubble gum, you got to take that seriously. They're customers, and that's hard-earned money that cannot be taken lightly. So I take this seriously. And this is not going to be about quantity. It's going to be about quality. And the reason for the charge here is that, look, writing is hard. I think I'm fairly good at it. Uh, I think it's a good complement to what I'm doing here on the radio show. I actually, when I started doing radio in 2007, and I think I've talked about this, and some of you may remember it, and if you do remember NYBaseballDigest.com, send me an email, MikeSilvatTalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'd love to know some of your memories there because I can't even get it online anymore. Long story. Maybe one day I'll get into what happened there. But uh, it was not a monetizable product. Blogs were popular. Blogs were in huge supply back between, you know, late 90s and, you know, maybe about 10 or 12 years ago. So it was a lot of fun. It got my name out there. It helped me kind of bolster my radio career because I didn't have a platform and a quality platform. I was on 1240 AM WGBB. And Blog Talk Radio, which was my home for a number of years, actually almost 15 years, was, you know, you know Alan Levy, you know, pioneer in the whole podcasting space. But the quality just wasn't that good. So I always felt that radio, there was so much I could have done, but the technology wasn't there. And now that's not the case. So I focused more on writing on the NYBaseballDigest.com. And when that project ended... Uh, you know, I came and did this, and over the years, things have developed and grown, and I've always missed bringing the written word back to you guys, and writing a column is something I've been wanting to do for a long time, but it is time-consuming, and I know you could say, Mike, well, this radio show's time-consuming, and it is, but I'll be honest with you, I find this easy. You know, you do some prep, and, and it's funny, and I say this all the time, if you love what you do, and you have a subject that you enjoy. There's really no prep because you're living it every day. I mean, while you're online getting a a bagel at the deli, you're probably reading something about the Mets. If you have a few minutes throughout the week or at night before bed, you're reading something about the Mets. And if you're really engaged in the subject and you are truly a subject matter expert, well, it's really not work. It's not like I sit down 10 minutes, half hour, hour before I come on the air every Sunday and I start doing research. Now, if you ask me to talk about the New York Islanders or the New York Rangers or the football Giants or the Jets, I'd have to do that. But not the New York Mets because I'm living and breathing and and doing all the things that you guys are doing listening. Just I'm, you know, trying to bring another level of professionalism to it. That's not a knock on you. So the newsletter is Talking Mets Beyond the Mic, M-I-C. And our good friend, Somebody Shape Podcast, Anthony Rivera, said I should have called it Beyond the Mic, M-I-K-E. Now, I am not that narcissistic. I mean, I thought about doing that because the play on Mike, but I thought Mike as in microphone because I am a radio guy first and foremost, and my name Mike, I thought that play on words was cool. So that definitely came into play. And Anthony, if you're listening, I love the suggestion, but I'm not Prince. I'm not Madonna. I mean, God help if I was Madonna. By the way, total non sequitur. You know what I heard this week? 
and I am not trying to like throw pop culture here to be like goofy or anything, but I heard that Madonna like drinks holy water and puts holy water in her pool and spends thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a month on that. And I think that's kind of odd. I mean, and if you see Madonna lately, she better get a new batch of holy water. I mean, I hate to go off set or off topic there, but it just came to mind as I was trying to think of celebrities with one name and and what have you. So how do you get the newsletter? Substack.com slash at, make sure you do the at, Talking Mets No G. It is also in my X profile because I can't say Twitter anymore. I got to get on board and I have to train myself in the open. I have to train myself to say you can get me on X because that's what it is now. I don't agree with it. I think it's dopey, but it is what it is. So substack.com slash at Talking Mets No G. Now the inaugural... Sunday column came out this morning and I talked about what I call now the tournament era. You know, you have all sorts of errors throughout baseball history, the dead ball era, the expansion era, the steroid era, you know, they now vote in hall of fame terms, you know, modern era, whatever you could call era after era. I'm sure there's a disclaimer or a moniker for every aspect of baseball history. I'm, and I'm going to be the first one. I'm gonna, and I, I should go Similar to Pat Riley with a three-peat, I should go and trademark the damn thing. Nobody will probably let me because when the baseball steals it or somebody steals it, at least I can make a few bucks on it. And you could read a little bit about why I think, despite some of the criticisms about three 100-win teams being knocked out of the postseason, that this is a good thing. Now, the real challenge when you charge for content is the last thing I want to do is have people read something on Tuesday or Wednesday or Sunday. And then I come on this show and I basically recap it for them in a segment. Because then the people that don't subscribe, you know, they're getting it for free. Now, I think, to be fair, verbally talking about something and writing it are two different things. You can get different experiences from both, even if it's the exact same information being put out there. But my commitment has been that the Beyond the Mic newsletter is taking topics that probably don't make it in the same detail to the radio show because we want to keep this an hour. We want to keep this tight. We can't have a, I mean, yeah, you could have a three or four hour show and some of you guys would would patronize it and I'm humbled by that, but that's not our society today. In a lot of ways, I'm long that I'm a hour, hour 10 and I try to keep it no more than that. And that's why I started breaking up the segments because I'm like, you know, You want to get people a chance to digest this a little bit. So my commitment is that if you're paying for the newsletter, and already a bunch of you are, and I thank you for that so much, that I'm not just going to come on here and give everybody the same thing that you paid for for free. There is going to be benefits for those paid subscribers. I might run, you know, some contests. I might do some giveaways. We're going to have all sorts of fun with it. You know me. I'm not one that has to be so rigid and structured And it's going to be like this, this, and this. And, you know, we want to go with the flow because the the news, the team, the time of year is all going to determine that. So I want to thank those who have signed up. I think those that have signed up for free to get free updates, if you want to give it a try, I put in a seven-day free trial so you can get today's column, get a feel about exactly, you know, what 
I'm offering, and hopefully you like it. And look, you want to do it monthly, you want to save the money, it's about a 20% discount, maybe a little less, if you sign up for the year. And here's the thing, I'm not going to Turks and Caicos on your money. I'm not trying to be a grifter here, trust me. I'm just trying to put some money back into the show, because I take all this stuff out of my pocket. Uh, there's a little, you know, obviously you guys hear the commercials, so I, I partnered with Fansighted, and all of this was meant to basically put some money in and monetize what I would be doing. And I did for a long time for free. Yeah, I had a couple of times where I made a few bucks here or there. But one of the biggest failures I've had in radio is that I sit back and I see all this passive income out there with people who have real garbage content or clickbait. And I'm like, you know, I'm not looking for that. I just want to be rewarded and not turn the show into a minor league baseball team outfield wall. I don't want you to be annoyed. I feel the way we do the ads on the show is not obnoxious. We try to play it in. I, you know, I don't control the ads. I don't sell them myself. They're all sold by the fan-sided podcasting network. So I know if you hear, especially now it's November, it's political season, you hear some politicians advertising on the show. You know, I am not here, you know, endorsing any candidates or Telling you have to buy, you know, we recently been doing the Factor, which I, I tried the food. It was pretty good. If you want to try Factor, there's a big promotion that you can still participate in. I think it's, it's you know, the meal system is not bad. But most of the stuff, and I listen back, and I don't hear every ad, is, is pretty good stuff. So, anyway, I want to thank everybody. I don't want to turn this first segment into a an ongoing ramble about my addition to the podcast, because you're here to hear me give thoughts on the Mets. But I wanted to put it out there at the beginning because I put it at the end of the show and I think it's important. So substack.com slash at Talking Mets, no G. Very important. Put the at. You can get it on my X profile. Just click the link. You could sign up for free. You'll get some updates um, about the podcast for free, the paid content. There's this, and I know it's because I checked, I put it out and clicked on it myself. There's a seven day trial for the content that came out this Sunday. And Sunday new Sunday column with my high heat thoughts. You could read a little bit about what high heat is. It's kind of like my random thoughts for the week. A midweek column, maybe on Friday. And I'm actually going to probably throw a couple of instant reaction videos. Now, I like the podcast to be more of the let's take a step back, see how things marinate out there and get a more complete reaction. But there is a value to instant reaction and it it might be fun to see my opinion in the moment exactly when things happen. You may see me give something while I'm in my car. You may see me at my studio. You're going to see my ugly mug, which drives me crazy because now I'm going to have to comb my hair. And I might have to worry about what kind of shirt I have on. You know, is there coffee stains on it? You know, what, what what's the background look like? That's going to drive me crazy. But you might see some of that. There's a lot of different things we can do with this that's going to be a lot of fun. So... Hopefully, you're going to enjoy it. I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Substack.com slash at TalkingMetsNoG. So there's that. Enough enough of the self-promotion. I gave you 15 minutes of that. And if you're angry at me, I apologize. That's not, you know, my intent was to let you know what's going on. And hope you join the community. What I believe is a very reasonable cost of $5 a month. One less latte at Starbucks if you go to Starbucks. One less, you know, what else is out there that's $5 or, or, or more. You know, one less, you know... Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 
96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Canister of gum, I don't know, something like that. You know, I think it's I think it's well-deserved, and, and I hope you enjoy it. So, all right, uh, Craig Council, you heard on the uh, way in, Andy Martino giving it a 50-50 shot that Council is going to be the Mets manager. Uh, I still feel, and I said this last week when I said is Council inevitable, I laughed because just a few days later, we heard that the uh, Brewers are giving the Mets permission. He's under contract until Halloween. They're giving the Mets permission about a week earlier to interview him. And it's like, it's so petty. It's like, you know, all you're trying to do is, is you know, maybe they were trying to, and, and nobody really knows because nothing's leaking. Maybe they used the lack of giving permission over the last couple of weeks since the season ended for counsel as a way to have that exclusive window to negotiate. I think the fact that he hasn't resigned with Milwaukee, and I saw the comments by Brandon Woodruff, who basically said, hey, I think Council's going to do everything he can to come back to Milwaukee. Well, maybe he did that already because the fact that now Cleveland has permission to interview him, the Mets have permission to interview him, I think that that's a pretty strong indication that he's probably not going back to Milwaukee because have you ever seen a manager go out, field offers, interview for jobs, and then go back to his original team? It would be a first. Now, maybe there's one and I'm not thinking of, but honestly, I can't, I, I, I just don't think so. I mean, maybe at pre-media age, maybe the 30s, the 40s, things like that. I, I don't know. It's strange. Uh, the other, the only one thing I could think of is is council going out, knowing that the Brewers have a cap on what financially they could pay him, and he's just trying to see if he could get that money up a little bit to maximize his uh, earnings. You know, he's a top manager in the sport, maybe the most respected a hot shot manager out there right now. You know, now that you have a lot of the, you know, Dusty Baker retired and a lot of the top managers, the longtime top managers, you know, Bochy has a job, Buck's out there. Um, but I don't know what, you know, his standing is anymore in terms of the elite managers in the game. So, you know, maybe he's just trying to go out there and show Milwaukee, hey, you really want to let me go over a million bucks a year? Is it worth it? You know, that kind of thing. So um, I think that there's a, Good chance, and Martino put it at 50-50, but I think it's a good chance that the Mets are going to land counsel. I know Cleveland's out there. Uh, I know Houston's out there. I'm sure he's going to be looking at all facets of the organization. But when you look at the teams that have met, San Diego, of course, needs a manager now that Bob Melvin went to San Francisco. When you look at the teams that don't have a manager, I mean, outside of the fact that it's New York and that it's been a bit chaotic here, and it's a pressure cooker. And you heard the comments by Mark Canna where he was telling uh, Andy Martino when he was talking about Council and how Council would adapt to New York that there were times it felt like the sky was falling. And that is really how it is here. I mean, for all sports. I mean, look at how the reactions have been to the, the football season with what's been going on. I mean, everything. The sky is falling. 
And that's a big part of New York, and not everybody wants that. And, you know, does he want the yoke? I call it the yoke. Does he want the pressure cooker? And, you know, he has to meet Steve Cohen. Anybody who read the book Black Edge, which was about Cohen's ascension to the top of his field in the hedge fund world, knows that he's a demanding guy. But they also know he's a guy that when he wants something, is going to go out and get it. So if David Stearns wants this guy, and he tells Cohen, hey, this is the guy, this is the perfect fit. Everybody else, you know, the Mark uh, Buzinskis, you know, those kind of guys, you know, all the outside the organization names that we know nothing about, they're all maybes. They could be Luis Rojas, they could be Mickey Calloway, or they could be the next Craig Council. We don't know. We're taking a chance. But, you know, the biggest salary in the history of baseball for manager reportedly is Joe Torre at $8 million a year. You know, getting this guy to five, you know, $6 million a year, I could see Cohen easily writing that check. I mean, he's paying for Verlander and Scherzer to be with other teams. He's paying for Scherzer to pitch in the World Series for Texas, not for the Mets. So I don't think money's going to be the problem. And I really think it comes down to the fact this council want to be here. I don't think it's any, I mean, why would, why would Stearns not want him? And then it begs the question, is the only reason that Buck was fired, well, there's twofold. One, it appears that Epler was not as big of a Buck fan as we thought. That was more of a Cohen hire. And Epler had just come on, and there was so much drinking from the fire hose back in the winter of 2021 into 2022 that he wasn't going to fight the battle on the manager, and he figured, I got myself a manager that can guide an experienced team, and then we'll figure it out. And I think ultimately they figured they would be good enough where at the end of the three years, Buck would be on his way and they would figure something else out. I, I, I firmly believe that was the plan. So maybe that was the Epler factor that got Buck out of here. But if you knew that Epler was, and he obviously didn't, Stearns, was going to be on the hot seat with the league, uh, I wonder if he would have fired Buck. And then if counsel wasn't available... Would that move have been made? See, there's a lot of chess pieces here that indicate to me that it's always been about counsel. As skeptical as I was, and I've said my skepticism, with the chaos going on, with the pressure, with the fact that counsel is from Milwaukee, his father worked for the organization, he played at the end of his career for the Brewers. He's been in that organization for such a long time. Why would he want to leave? You know, like, uh, it makes no sense, but familiarity breeds contempt sometimes. I don't, I'm don't. i not saying that's the case with, with counsel, but sometimes the same thing over and over is like watching paint dry and, and people get stale and, and maybe counsel thinks he's taken this thing as, as far as he can go and now it's time to go do something else. I mean, if you look, when he became Brewers manager in 2015, they were not a very good team. Um, his first uh, full season in 2016 he only won 73 games, but since then, he's won somewhere between 86 and, and 96 games, take away the, the pandemic season. Uh, he continuously outperforms the team's Pythagorean one loss. Uh, you know, the team is, is you know, won a few divisions. I know it's a, been a rather weak division with teams like Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and even the Cubs at times, sometimes three or four of the teams in that division are having down years, but still winning over 90 games. And as a former player that's played on a couple of championship teams and scored, been in the middle of big rallies in game sevens, the guy knows how to win. What I like best about councils that we haven't really 
talk to anybody who has been around him that much. But then you you saw a very well-written article where Martino sat down with Mark Canna and talked about you know his perspective. Now, he played for Council for two months after the Mets traded him to Milwaukee. And, and Council said that, uh, excuse me, Canna said that Council reminded him a lot of Bob Melvin and some of the characteristics, which really sounded a lot like Buck, which is funny because that's where I'm going with this. Um, you know, that he was a very balanced manager, Council. You know, he knows when to have his hand on the wheel and, and, and exert his influence. Uh, but he's also able to get out of the way and let the players be themselves and figure things out. That's a very, and kind of talked about a fine line. And I think that's an indication of an individual that's really good at managing the clubhouse because every player needs something different. Just kicking everybody in the you-know-what and, and having a one-size-fit-all approach to each player does not work. Now, you have to have a philosophy and expectation of what the team is all about and what the uh, the goals and the expectations for each individual are in terms of work ethic and such. And it sounds like that's something that, um, you know, council provides, you know. And I do agree, you know, in the times I've watched him when the Mets have played Milwaukee, he carries himself in the dugout. He doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, overly intense because I think sometimes that gets to be too much. And he talks, you know, the term laid back is usually a negative connotation. And it was used by Canna here. But I think it's also when you know that you've established the covenant between you and the clubhouse in terms of expectations, you don't have to remind them every five minutes because you've established it from day one. You reaffirm it in spring training. And let's face it, you work with your front office. And it sounds like council going back to when Stearns was there has been aligned with the front office, something that, and I'll get to that in a minute, that probably was what the undoing of Buck was. Now, kind of talks about how New York might not be a problem for him because he's already been performing under pressure. I mentioned even as a player, he played in big spots. Here's a guy that was an 11th round pick. He wasn't a top pick. He had to fight his way to the big leagues and stay there and became a starter. Doesn't happen that easily. I mean, he was mainly a component player. He wasn't a great hitter. He was a very solid guy to have on your team. And, you know, in a way, kind of even compared him a little bit to Buck. And I think as you hear about how he knew when to push forward or pull back and how to communicate in the level of communication, it really sounds like Council is just a younger version of Buck, which is a really cool thing that if this winds up being uh, where it ends up, where the Mets fire Buck, who I liked a lot and I thought was perfect, and I knew Buck wasn't going to be here a decade, not at the age he was now. Buck was at... 1992, 1993, Buck, he would have been. And the shame of everything is that Buck just was never in right place, right time. He was at the Yankees when Steinbrenner was still a maniac. Uh, He pushed the Diamondbacks, I guess, a little bit too hard, and they parted with him a year early. I I don't believe um, Bob Brenling was the reason why they won the World Series. I think they would have won that World Series if Buck was there. Uh, You know, we know what happened in Texas. It just didn't work out. You know, A-Rod and all that stuff. And then, of course, Baltimore and, you know, there was caps and limits to what you could accomplish there. And then you have, um, you know, what's been going on with the Mets. So, you know, it's a shame on that whole thing. Um, But I really wonder if they don't land counsel, 
would it have been a mistake? Is it a mistake to fire Buck? Because everything that they're looking for or that council provides, Buck would. Now, here's where that might not be 100% the case because then I was reading a New York Newsday article where Tommy Pham was talking about Buck and this kind of, and we'll get to that in the second segment about Pham's comments on work ethic. Pham said what he really liked about Buck was the communication that Buck provided into why players were put in certain roles or playing a certain amount of time. So, you know, basically Pham signed with the Mets thinking he was going to play four times a week because Epler wanted to rest a lot of the veterans like a Marte, guys like that because of age and coming off some, some injuries. And that wasn't happening early on. And then Buck was saying that the front office put together these predictive lineups, which really blows my mind that here we are. And I see it when we watch the Apple TV podcast, uh, uh, shows, not podcasts, Apple TV shows of, uh, you know, the game, you know, predict probabilistic outcomes. You know, you heard Billy Epler say all that, that we have front offices and, and there's some very smart people, data scientists in these front offices that are able to sit down and somehow before the game play stratomatic baseball and tell you that maybe they run a simulation a thousand times and tell you how this thing is going to play out. And there were pitchers that fam had historical success against that he was sitting against. And then Buck was showing them showing fam and he probably did this with the players showing them the front office rationale as to why they were making out the lineup a certain way and fam thought it was crazy but he respected the fact that it was communicated to them and that you know is ultimately where a lot of managers go wrong in baseball is they lie to people they lie to the players because either they're afraid to tell them the truth maybe they don't agree with the decisions above them you know, maybe they don't respect the fact that the player can handle that. I think players are so insecure in a lot of ways because they don't know if they're being told the truth day in and day out. And a guy like Buck did that. Now, it sounds like from the fam comments that Buck was more going, hey, I don't agree with this, the front office rationale, but here's their rationale. Maybe that's where Buck went wrong. And if you listen to Stearns and you listen really, really closely, Stearns wants that manager to be in the front office cabinet. And the only difference between that manager and the front office that he puts on a uniform and goes down in the dugout at 710. He's no different. You know, that's really how A.J. Hinch got a job in Arizona. Now, he flamed out before he became a really good manager, so to speak. I, I have my doubts on that. In Houston, he was in the front office. And I think that's the future of managers. They want guys learning the game from the front office and then being able to go down there and disseminate the front office plan and advocate for it, and they, and most of these guys will because if you're part of that cabinet and you grew up in an organization with that knowledge and information and way of going about your business, why wouldn't you agree with it? See, a guy like Buck, he grew up on the field, you know, managing down in Oneonta, New York. Dusty Baker, the same thing. Joe Girardi, although he is a little bit more analytics-based than those other guys, was also a former player. And I think his personality was the big problem there. The new managers are really just members of the front office cabinet. And that's where the game is going. And it ain't going back, guys. Not for a long time. Yeah, you have a Bruce Boche out there. And again, I think that's a situation in Texas where a guy like Boche is brought on as a short-term gap. That's probably why Will Venable is, you know, not looking to interview anywhere else. Maybe he's going to jump in. 
But that's it, man. Dusty Baker retired. The Craig Council-type manager is where this is going forward. And I think it's going to be hard to get great managers because they're all going to kind of be the same. And the problem now is, as the sport is evolving, the good and the bad, the stars and the has-beens and the managerial ranks are working themselves out. And you don't want, right now, if you're the Mets, to be again on the losing end of a manager coming into the position, the modern manager, the extension of the front office, part of the front office cabinet manager, experiment with another guy like a Louis Rojas, like a Mickey Calloway, that quite simply is not ready or not able to bridge the gap between the team and the front office. It takes a lot of work. Managing that clubhouse now because the front office is so involved is harder than ever. It used to be just managing their personalities. It's not, and you got to manage the media, and you got to be a spokesperson for the fan base who drive a lot of narratives around the club and sometimes create, as Kana was saying, that sky is falling situation around them. So I personally believe, look, Martino puts it at 50-50. I personally believe this is a council or bust, and I'd be really interested to see if he decides to go back to Milwaukee or not take the Mets job and go somewhere else where they'll pivot. I personally believe they're out there doing a lot more work and interviews than you think. I think nothing is getting leaked right now out of this front office. I wouldn't be surprised if Council's already interviewed with the Mets. Martino, who's usually the most plugged in, seems to have somewhat of limited information. The beat writers have never been plugged in, going all the way back to the, the um, Carlos Beltran hire back in 2019, that managerial search. It's really been Martino and nobody else. So the front office has done a really good job even before Cohen took over and keeping things locked down. No leaks. But look, if you know it's Mark uh, Buzinski or somebody else, it doesn't matter. You're taking a risk at that point. And I really think the Mets are in a position with the expectations. We're assuming that Cohen's going out and going to spend big money again to put a team together that's going to be right there. Uh, at least on paper, expected to compete and be at the top of the league and possibly win a championship. Um, you know, you need somebody that has a resume and counsel has a resume. He has a resume as a player. He has a resume as a manager. You know, even Beltron, who I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, and some of the characteristics that make him a desirable candidate where, you know, he was a different version of every player you're going to see in the clubhouse, doesn't have the same cachet as a counsel because counsel's done it. And Council's done it in a small market where he was always having to do more with less. So that's where I'm at with that. Right now, we just have to sit back and, and, and watch this thing develop. The World Series will be over in about a week. I mean, think about that. In about a week, we're about three weeks or so from Thanksgiving. World Series will be over. We'll be starting the offseason. And we'll see. Will the Mets have a manager? Or will they start a more extensive search with you know, all the plan B's. See, I don't think that's where this is going to go. I think they've already looked at the plan B's. They've honed in on some. Council's their desired target. And they're going to try to get this council thing done. And this is all my opinion before they go to any plan B's. Now, if they fail, I think they could pivot rather quickly because they probably already have who their finalists are. And then they could figure out, you know, how they want to go and where they want to go. And it sounds like Stearns is a guy that does extensive research. He's been on the job almost a month. So it's not like he's been sitting around twiddling his thumbs waiting for the World Series to be over to get started. He's not on vacation. He's been working hard. 
And, you know, that's how I think this is going to go. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When I come back, part two of today's show, Tommy Pham still has a lot to say about the Mets work ethic. He called out the New York Post. And I want to dive a little into that because I don't think anybody's really talking about what Tommy Pham's comments mean. I don't necessarily think it's about a lazy team or an indictment on the manager. I think it's more about the way that players approach their trade and maybe what they take for granted. And a guy like Pham, who can't take anything for granted, why his bar and his style of going about his routine may be a little different than others. And not to say that he's wrong, there are things you could take away, but let's not take his word as gospel. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this.